I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step 1, the ultimate USMLE Step 1 review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step 1 podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high-yield and high-quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. This is John Damianos. I am a fourth-year medical student at the Dartmouth-Geisel School of Medicine, interested in internal medicine. I will be narrating the gastroenterology chapter of Crush Step 1, Second Edition. We will begin by discussing anatomy. Abdominal wall. A surgeon cutting through the lateral abdominal wall would cut through anatomic structures in the following order. Skin, superficial fascia, composed of camper fascia, the fatty layer, and scarpa fascia, the membranous layer, external oblique, internal oblique, transversus abdominis, transversalis fascia, extraperitoneal fascia, parietal peritoneum. See figure 10.1. A midline incision would cut through the skin, camper fascia, scarpa fascia, linea alba, which are the aponeuroses of rectus sheaths, transversalis fascia, extraperitoneal fascia, parietal peritoneum. Gastrointestinal tract. The upper gastrointestinal, or GI tract, begins at the mouth and extends to the ligament of trites, actually not a ligament at all, but the suspensory muscle of the duodenum, which participates in GI motility. The lower GI tract includes everything distal to this point. Of note, an upper GI bleed is a bleed proximal to the ligament of trites. It will usually present with hematemesis or melana, although it may present as hematochesia if very brisk. A lower GI bleed is distal to the ligament of trites and will usually present as hematochesia, although blood tends to be darker the more proximal the origin of the bleed. Overall, two-thirds of all GI bleeds are from an upper GI source. Embryologic divisions. The GI tract can also be divided embryologically into the foregut, midgut, and hindgut, which correspond best with the adult vascular supply. The foregut consists of the pharynx to the first half of the duodenum, as well as the esophagus, stomach, liver, gallbladder, and pancreas. The vascular supply of the foregut comes from the celiac trunk, which gives rise to the left gastric, common hepatic, and splenic arteries. See figures 10.2 and 10.3. Parasympathetic innervation comes from the vagus nerve, and sympathetic innervation comes from the thoracic splanchnic nerves, T5 through T11. The midgut includes the distal duodenum, jejunum, ilium, and proximal two-thirds of the transverse colon. The midgut is supplied by the superior mesenteric artery and, like the foregut, is innervated by the vagus nerve and thoracic splanchnics, 
T11 through T12. The hindgut consists of the distal transverse colon, descending colon, sigmoid colon, and rectum. It is supplied by the inferior mesenteric artery and has parasympathetic innervation by the pelvic splanchnics, S2 through S4, and sympathetic innervation from the lumbar splanchnics, L1 through L2. The splenic flexure is considered a watershed area because it is perfused by the most distal branches of the superior mesenteric artery and inferior mesenteric artery. In times of hypoperfusion, such as septic shock, this area is the most susceptible to ischemia. The entire GI tract has venous drainage that passes through the liver via the portal circulation, which allows the liver to participate in digestion. Clinically, portal drainage to the liver is relevant for first-pass metabolism of medications and explains why GI cancers tend to metastasize to the liver. The liver is so vascular that it is the most common organ to have metastases from other malignancies. Don't be fooled. A malignancy found in the liver is more likely to be of metastatic than primarily hepatic origin especially if there are multiple lesions. Retroperitoneum. The peritoneum is a membranous tissue that lines the abdominal viscera, visceral peritoneum, and abdominal wall, parietal peritoneum. Several abdominal structures, however, are situated behind the peritoneum, at least in part, and are thus retroperitoneal. These can be remembered with the mnemonic sad pucker, suprarenal glands, or adrenals, aorta and inferior vena cava, or IVC, duodenum, second through fourth parts, pancreas, ureters, colon, ascending and descending, kidney, esophagus, and rectum. Portal triad. The triad of hepatic artery, portal vein, and bile duct. Portal triads form the six points of a hexagon that make up the liver lobule. See figure 10.4. Hepatic vasculature. Nutrient-rich blood from the GI tract enters the liver via the portal vein, whereas oxygen-rich blood enters the liver via the common hepatic artery. See figure 10.4. The blood passes through sinusoids lined by the basolateral surface of a single-layered sheet of hepatocytes. The apical surface faces bile canaliculi. The sinusoids are fenestrated, allowing easy transfer of the products of digestion into hepatocytes. The sinusoids drain into central veins, which empty into the hepatic veins, and finally to the IVC. Note that blood drains away from the portal triad toward the central vein, whereas bile flows in the opposite direction, toward the portal triad and bile ducts. Biliary tree and bile formation. Bile is created by the hepatocytic breakdown of cholesterol, the primary method of eliminating cholesterol from the body. Bile is secreted from the apical surface of hepatocytes and travels via bile canaliculi into bile ductules. Bile ductules lead to the left and right hepatic ducts, 
which combine to form the common hepatic duct. The cystic duct exits the gallbladder and joins the common hepatic duct to form the common bile duct, or CBD. The CBD and pancreatic duct empty into the second part of the duodenum via the ampulla avatar, which leads to the major duodenal papilla. The sphincter of Odi controls the flow of bile and pancreatic enzymes into the duodenum. See figure 10.5. When reviewing the biliary pathology section later, consider the clinical importance of each step in the flow of bile. For example, Primary biliary cholangitis, PBC, is caused by the destruction of canaliculi, and primary sclerosing cholangitis, PSC, is caused by the destruction of the intra- and extrahepatic bile ducts. Cholecystitis usually results from obstruction of the gallbladder neck or cystic duct. Cholidocolithiasis refers to a gallstone lodged in the common bile duct. Cholangitis is usually caused by an obstruction of the common bile duct, by cholidocolithiasis or other means. Obstruction of the pancreatic duct is one of the causes of pancreatitis. Of clinical importance, the liver uses cholesterol to produce bile acids. Statins are a class of medications that interfere with hepatic synthesis of cholesterol by inhibiting HMG-CoA reductase, 3-hydroxy-3-methyl-glutyryl-CoA reductase. The conversion of HMG-CoA to mevalonic acid is the first committed step in the hepatic synthesis of cholesterol. See figure 10.6. Inhibition of this step causes hepatocytes to absorb cholesterol from the circulation by increasing hepatocyte low-density lipoprotein, LDL, receptors. Decreased synthesis of cholesterol and increased hepatic uptake of serum cholesterol leads to a reduction of serum LDL. Digestive tract anatomy. The gut wall is composed of mucosa, submucosa, muscularis propria, and serosa. See figure 10.7. Mucosa, the innermost layer of the GI tract. It consists of the epithelial layer, lamina propria, and muscularis mucosa. Invaginations, villi at the small intestine, increase the surface area of the epithelial layer, which is involved primarily in absorption and secretion. The lamina propria contains supportive structures, and the muscularis mucosa shapes the underlying epithelium. Submucosa connective tissue that supports the mucosa. Notably, it contains the submucosal plexus, Meissner plexus, which innervates the muscularis mucosa and aids in GI motility. Muscularis propria consists of an inner circular muscle and outer longitudinal muscle, which act together to perform peristalsis. The myenteric plexus, Auerbach plexus, innervates these muscles. Serosa, supportive tissue that contains vasculature and lymphatics. We will now move on from anatomy to physiology. Gastric histology. Figure 10.8 shows the histologic and anatomic regions of the stomach. 
parietal cells, located in the body and fundus of the stomach. These secrete hydrogen ions via hydrogen-potassium ATPase to lower gastric pH and also secrete intrinsic factor, which binds to vitamin B12 and facilitates vitamin B12 absorption in the terminal ileum. The hydrogen-potassium ATPase on parietal cells is the target of proton pump inhibitors, or PPIs. Chief cells secrete pepsinogen, proenzyme for protein digestion, active only when the pH is below 6. Chief cells also secrete gastric lipase, which plays a small role in lipid digestion. G cells, located in the antrum. These cells secrete gastrin to increase gastric motility and stimulate parietal cell secretion of hydrogen ions. Mucus cells, located in the cardia and antrum of the stomach. They secrete mucus, containing bicarbonate, for epithelial protection. Histology of the intestine. Villi. Finger-like projections into the intestinal lumen, which increase the surface area for digestion. Intestinal crypts. Lying between villi, crypts contain stem cells that replace sloughed enterocytes and secrete digestive enzymes. Enterocytes. Intestinal columnar epithelial cells. Their apical surface contains a brush border of microvilli, which greatly increases the intestinal surface area and participates in the digestion and absorption of nutrients. Enteroendocrine cells. Specialized cells located in the gastrointestinal tract and pancreas involved in the secretion of gastrointestinal hormones, see later, and peptides essential for gastrointestinal regulation and function. Goblet cells. These cells lie on intestinal villi and produce a protective and lubricating mucus. The more distal in the small intestine, the more goblet cells are present. Panath cells. Located in intestinal crypts below stem cells, these cells exocytose enzymes that destroy GI microorganisms and participate in the innate immunity of the small intestine. Duodenal, or Brunner, glands. Submucosal glands of the upper duodenum that secrete bicarbonate and pepsinogen to neutralize gastric acid and facilitate digestion, respectively. Pyre patches. Lymph nodules in the lamina propria and submucosa of the ileum. This histologic feature helps distinguish ileum from jejunum. They participate in the adaptive immune function of the gut. It is logical that these lymphoid follicles are in the ileum because it is closest to the bacteria-rich colon. Clinically, hypertrophy of pyre patches has been associated with intussusception. See later. Colonocytes. Simple columnar epithelial cells of the colon specialized in absorbing water. These are the precursor cells for colon cancer. Gastrointestinal hormones. See Table 10.1. Gastrin. Prepares for the gastric phase of digestion. 
secreted by antral G cells, gastrin increases gastric motility and parietal cell activity, secretion of intrinsic factor and hydrogen ions. Serum levels will be extremely high in patients with a gastrinoma, Zollinger-Ellison syndrome, or if the patient is on a PPI, which raises gastric pH and initiates a feedback loop. Cholecystokinin, CCK. Greek for gallbladder move. CCK stimulates gallbladder contraction, relaxation of the sphincter of ODI, and pancreatic enzyme secretion. Release is stimulated by fatty acids in the GI tract. CCK is secreted by eye cells of the duodenum and jejunum. Clinically, this hormone is responsible for pain after fatty meals if cholelithiasis is present because it causes the gallbladder to contract against a blocked cystic duct, biliary colic. Secretin prepares for the intestinal phase of digestion by stimulating secretions from the pancreas and gallbladder while inhibiting gastric secretions, including gastrin and gastric hydrogen ions. Like CCK, it is secreted in the duodenum by S-cells. Unlike CCK, secretin tends to stimulate pancreatic bicarbonate secretion, whereas CCK stimulates pancreatic enzyme secretion. Somatostatin acts as the brakes of the GI and endocrine systems. Somatostatin decreases the secretion of gastric acid, GI motility, and gallbladder motility. Hormonally, it inhibits insulin, glucagon, thyroid-stimulating hormone, and growth hormone release. It is also a splanchnic vasoconstrictor. D-cells in the duodenum and pancreas control its secretion. Glucose-dependence insulinotropic peptide, GIP. As the name suggests, this hormone, GIP, increases pancreatic beta cell release of insulin in response to an oral glucose load. Clinically, this means that insulin levels rise more rapidly after an oral glucose load compared with an intravenous glucose load. K-cells of the small intestine secrete GIP. Vasoactive intestinal peptide, VIP. VIP is released from neurons within the GI mucosa. It increases the intestinal and pancreatic secretion of fluids and electrolytes. It also causes relaxation of smooth muscle. Clinically, a VIPoma, often of the pancreas, causes profuse watery diarrhea and facial flushing, secondary to fluid secretion and vasodilation, respectively. VIPomas are associated with multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1, MEN1 syndrome. See Chapter 9. Motilin. During periods of fasting, the upper duodenum secretes motilin to initiate migrating myoelectric complexes, improving peristalsis. The resulting muscular contractions push indigestible substances, such as fiber, through the digestive tract. Motilin functions as a sort of housekeeper of the gut by making room for subsequent meals. Clinically, this hormone is responsible for the rumbling sounds, borborygmi, created by the GI tract when fasting. Ghrelin. 
During periods of fasting, PD1 cells of the fundus secrete ghrelin. Ghrelin is thought to act predominantly on the hypothalamus, and it contributes to the sensation of hunger. Not surprisingly, it is found at elevated levels before meals and is decreased after feeding. Clinically, high levels of ghrelin contribute to the insatiable appetite of patients with Prader-Willi syndrome, partial deletion of chromosome 15. Conversely, bariatric surgeries that remove the fundus or exclude it from digestion, for example, Ruan-Y surgery, lead to lower levels of circulating ghrelin and contribute to weight loss. Mnemonic. When hungry, your stomach growls because of ghrelin. Leptin. The counterpart of ghrelin, leptin acts on the hypothalamus to inhibit hunger. It is produced in adipose tissue. Saliva. The parotid, submandibular, and sublingual glands secrete saliva. Saliva provides mechanical lubrication to facilitate swallowing of food boluses. Furthermore, it contains alpha amylase and lingual lipase, which initiate digestion of carbohydrates and lipids, respectively. Saliva also contains bicarbonate, which helps neutralize refluxed gastric contents and inhibits bacterial growth within the mouth. Clinically, patients with Sjogren's syndrome produce less saliva and as a result are prone to dental caries. They may also suffer complications of gastroesophageal reflux disease because of decreased salivary buffering activity. Saliva production is stimulated by both parasympathetic and sympathetic activity, although the parasympathetic system is dominant. Increased salivation is a symptom of excessive cholinergic activity or acetylcholinesterase inhibition. Digestion and absorption Digestion is the process whereby ingested food is broken down into constituent parts capable of being absorbed. The mechanical activity of chewing and movement of food boluses through the GI tract contribute to the process of digestion, but the major activity takes place at the molecular level. Carbohydrates consist of polysaccharides, disaccharides, including lactose and sucrose, and monosaccharides, glucose, galactose, and fructose. Only monosaccharides are capable of being absorbed by the small intestine. Carbohydrate digestion begins with alpha amylase in the saliva, which is quickly inactivated in the acidic gastric environment. Once in the duodenum, however, Pancreatic amylase continues the process and catalyzes the glycosidic bonds, specifically alpha-1-4 linkages, in carbohydrates to break down polysaccharides into disaccharides. Intestinal brush border enzymes, lactase, sucrase, and maltase, finish the conversion of disaccharides into monosaccharides. Glucose and galactose are absorbed in the small intestine via secondary active transport, sodium cotransport, SGLT1, whereas fructose is absorbed down its concentration gradient using a transport protein, facilitated diffusion, GLUT5.
All three monosaccharides are absorbed by GLUT2. Of clinical importance, lactose intolerance is a disaccharidase deficiency caused by a relative lack of brush border lactase. Undigested lactose remains in the intestinal lumen, resulting in osmotic diarrhea, along with the symptoms of cramping and bloating because of fermentation by colonic bacteria. An analogous osmotic diarrhea may occur in patients ingesting large amounts of sorbitol, a sweetener often found in sugar-free gum or candy. This monosaccharide is very slowly absorbed and in excess can cause an osmotic diarrhea by drawing water into the lumen. Dietary lipids consist of cholesterol, triglycerides, and phospholipids. Digestion begins with lingual lipase and gastric lipase, hydrolyzing triglycerides into free fatty acids and glycerol. This phase is only responsible, however, for a small fraction of lipid digestion. Once in the duodenum, bile salts emulsify the lipids into micelles, hydrophobic products of lipid digestion surrounded by the amphiphilic bile salts. This structure greatly increases their surface area for digestion by pancreatic lipase. When micelles approach the brush border, their lipid contents are absorbed into enterocytes and repackaged as chylomicrons. Chylomicrons then distribute lipids to the rest of the body. Bile salts, on the other hand, remain in the intestinal lumen until they are resorbed in the ileum and recycled via the enterohepatic circulation. Protein. Protein digestion begins in the stomach with chief cell secretion of pepsinogen, which is converted to pepsin in the acidic environment. Pepsin initiates protein digestion by hydrolyzing internal peptide bonds. However, pancreatic bicarbonate inactivates pepsin in the duodenum and pancreatic trypsinogen takes over. This enzyme is converted to its active form, trypsin, by the action of brush border enterokinases. Trypsin not only hydrolyzes peptide bonds, but also catalyzes other pancreatic proteases to become active. The end result is protein breakdown into tripeptides and amino acids, which are absorbed via sodium or hydrogen ion co-transporters. Clinically, Protein malnutrition contributes to poor wound healing. Quashiorcor refers to severe protein energy malnutrition despite sufficient caloric intake. The lack of protein causes decreased osmotic pressure in blood vessels, resulting in generalized edema, called anasarca. Quashiorcor can be distinguished from marasmus, starvation resulting from inadequate intake of all nutrients a condition characterized by more severe muscle wasting and emaciation without associated edema. See figure 10.9. We will now move on to pathology. Esophageal pathology. Gastroesophageal reflux disease, GERD. GERD is inappropriate relaxation of the lower esophageal sphincter, LES, allowing retrograde flow of gastric contents into the esophagus, causing burning retrosternal pain, especially after meals or when lying flat. 
It also may present as hoarseness, sour taste in the mouth, called water brash, worsening asthma, or chronic cough. Diagnosis is made clinically, but attention must be paid to red flag symptoms such as dysphagia, difficulty swallowing, odynophagia, painful swallowing, and weight loss. If these symptoms are present, additional testing, endoscopy, barium swallow, should be performed to rule out complications such as esophagitis, stenosis, stricture, esophageal mucosal webs, Barrett esophagus, and adenocarcinoma. Treatment of GERD involves diet modification, avoidance of caffeine, alcohol, and spicy foods, H2 blockers, or PPIs. Nissen fund application, a surgical procedure in which the gastric fundus is wrapped around the lower esophagus to increase pressure at the lower esophageal sphincter, can be performed in refractory cases. Esophageal stricture. Chronic gastric acid exposure results in scarring of the esophagus, eventually narrowing the lumen. Dysphagia is the predominant symptom because food has difficulty passing the stricture. Strictures are also a complication of chemical esophagitis from acid or alkali ingestion. Barrett esophagus. Chronic gastric acid exposure causes intestinal, columnar, metaplasia in place of the normal stratified squamous epithelium at the distal esophagus. This histologic finding predisposes patients to adenocarcinoma. Of note, gastric metaplasia may also occur, but it is not associated with adenocarcinoma. Hiatal hernias. A sliding hiatal hernia occurs when the gastroesophageal junction, GEJ, herniates through the esophageal hiatus. See figure 10.10b. The diaphragm is no longer able to contribute to the GEJ pressure gradient, thereby predisposing the patient to GERD. Most hiatal hernias, however, are asymptomatic. A paraesophageal hiatal hernia occurs when the gastric fundus herniates through the esophageal hiatus. See figure 10.10c. Because the GEJ is not affected, this anatomic arrangement does not lead to GERD, but does put patients at risk for incarceration and strangulation of the fundus. Fortunately, paraesophageal hernias are much less common than the more benign sliding hernias. Achalasia. A dysfunction of the esophageal myenteric plexus causing increased LES tone and impaired esophageal peristalsis. The failure of LES relaxation leads to food accumulation proximal to the lesion and subsequent dilation of the esophagus. This combination of pathologic conditions results in the bird's beak appearance of achalasia on a barium swallow study. See figures 10.10a and 10.11. Symptoms include dysphagia, odynophagia, halitosis, or bad breath, and regurgitation. Although usually idiopathic, Chagas disease, caused by trypanosoma cruzi, causes damage to the myenteric plexus, resulting in achalasia. T. cruzi can also cause megacolon by the same mechanism, 
destruction of the colonic myenteric plexus. Endoscopic pneumatic dilation of the LES is a common treatment modality for achalasia. Botulinum toxin can also be injected into the LES to induce relaxation. Mallory Weiss tear. Partial thickness esophageal laceration caused by forceful retching, such as after alcohol consumption, bulimia, and food poisoning, which presents as painful, blood-streaked emesis. No treatment is necessary in most cases. This is differentiated from Borhov syndrome, which is a serious, full-thickness defect in the esophagus that often leads to pneumomediastinum. Esophageal perforation. Often caused by forceful vomiting, Borhov syndrome, or instrumentation, endoscopy. This life-threatening condition presents as severe chest pain and painful swallowing. Physical examination may reveal crepitus from subcutaneous air, subcutaneous emphysema, and chest x-ray may reveal a widened mediastinum or air in the mediastinum, pneumomediastinum. A pleural effusion may also be present because of irritation from the luminal contents. Diagnosis is made with water-soluble contrast esophagography. Barium contrast, which will damage and inflame thoracic structures outside the GI tract, should be avoided. Computed tomography, CT, may also be confirmatory. Esophagitis. Inflammation of the esophageal mucosa. It is most often caused by GERD, where acid reflux overwhelms the protective ability of the submucosal glands mucin and bicarbonate secretions. Pill esophagitis is caused by certain medications becoming lodged in the esophagus, such as antibiotics, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs, bisphosphonates, iron, and potassium chloride. In patients with AIDS or immunosuppression, Consider infectious causes, such as cytomegalovirus, candida, or herpes simplex virus. Chemical esophagitis occurs after accidental or intentional ingestion of caustic materials, such as household cleaners leading to coagulation necrosis, acids, or more severe liquefactive necrosis, alkali. In all cases, endoscopy is diagnostic. Eosinophilic esophagitis. Eosinophilic inflammation of the esophagus associated with other atopic conditions, food allergies, asthma, dermatitis, etc. Symptoms are similar to GERD and include dysphagia and pain, although patients will not respond to antacids. Treatment is with allergen avoidance and steroids. Zenker diverticulum. Esophageal diverticulum above the esophageal sphincter at Killian triangle, the region between the cricopharyngeus and the lower inferior constrictor muscles. During swallowing, it may trap food causing regurgitation, dysphagia, and halitosis from trapped rotting food. See figure 10.12. Plummer-Vinson syndrome. Iron deficiency anemia leading to formation of esophageal webs causing dysphagia and glossitis, smooth, shiny, inflamed tongue. See figure 10.13. 
It is unclear exactly why iron deficiency produces this condition in some patients, but most symptoms respond to iron supplementation. Esophageal webs can also be treated endoscopically. Esophageal carcinoma presents as progressive dysphagia and odynophagia beginning with bulky foods, like steak, but progressing to liquids. These symptoms contribute to weight loss. It is diagnosed by endoscopy. Squamous cell carcinoma. More likely secondary to tobacco and alcohol use. Involves the upper two-thirds of the esophagus. Adenocarcinoma. Often secondary to Barrett esophagus from GERD involves the lower third of the esophagus. Gastric and duodenal pathology. Gastritis. Gastric inflammation and associated mucosal injury found on biopsy. However, overall gastritis is a term that is not well defined and has several classification systems. A distinction is often made between acute and chronic gastritis. Histopathologically, Acute gastritis is neutrophil predominant, whereas chronic gastritis demonstrates a mixture of mononuclear cells. Causes of gastritis include Helicobacter pylori infection, alcohol, NSAIDs, and autoimmune conditions. Of note, pernicious anemia is characterized by anti-intrinsic factor antibodies and anti-parietal cell antibodies. The result is a chronic atrophic gastritis and loss of intrinsic factor, leading to vitamin B12, cobalamin, deficiency, and megaloblastic anemia. Peptic ulcer disease. Erosions of gastric mucosa associated with gnawing, aching, burning epigastric abdominal pain. Ulcers are most commonly caused by H. pylori infection or heavy NSAID use. Physiologic stress can also contribute to ulcer formation. H. pylori Patients with active H. pylori infection will have positive stool antigen and urease breath test. The urease breath test involves a patient consuming radio-labeled urea. In the presence of urease from H. pylori, the urea will be broken down into CO2 and ammonia. The radio-labeled CO2 can then be detected on exhalation. Physiologically, H. pylori uses urease to neutralize gastric acid with ammonia and create a more hospitable environment. H. pylori serum serology studies indicate only that infection was present at one time, but are often used in diagnosis in the appropriate clinical setting, i.e. classic symptoms, Endoscopy with biopsy, however, remains the gold standard. NSAIDs Cause ulcers by inhibiting the production of protective prostaglandins. In general, NSAIDs inhibit cyclooxygenase 1, COX-1, and COX-2. Because COX-1 is more responsible for the production of protective prostaglandin E2, PGE2, in the stomach, Selective COX-2 inhibitors, such as celecoxib, are somewhat less likely to contribute to gastritis or ulcer formation. Physiologic stress 
Patients who are critically ill from any cause, trauma, infection, surgery, etc., may develop gastric ulcers that are caused by inadequate tissue perfusion as a result of splanchnic vasoconstriction and or systemic hypotension. Curling ulcers. Stress ulcers associated with severe trauma or burns caused by systemic hypovolemia, hypotension, and hypoperfusion. Cushing ulcers. Stress ulcers associated with brain lesions. Elevated intracranial pressure from tumors or traumatic bleeding increases vagal stimulation of gastric parietal cells and hydrogen ion secretion. Complications of peptic ulcers include perforation and bleeding. Malignancies also tend to ulcerate, so one should biopsy ulcers during endoscopy to rule out cancer. Perforation. Perforation of an abdominal viscous, for example, perforated peptic ulcers, classically prevents as acute onset abdominal pain and peritonitis. An upright radiograph may reveal free air under the diaphragm, pneumoperitoneum, see figure 10.14. Emergent surgical consultation is essential. Bleeding ulcer. If the ulcer overlies a vein or artery, such as the gastroduodenal or gastric artery, brisk bleeding may occur. Patients with bleeding ulcers most often present with melana, although brisk or large volume bleeding can result in hematemesis and even hematochesia. Zollinger-Ellison syndrome, ZES. A gastrinoma, gastrin-secreting tumor, of the pancreas or small intestine, leads to marked hyperplasia of parietal cells, causing increased hydrogen ion secretion. Symptoms include diarrhea and multiple recurrent or refractory duodenal ulcers. Testing reveals markedly elevated gastrin levels and a positive secretin test. Gastrin levels stay elevated even after secretin infusion. ZES should be considered in patients with recurrent or refractory ulcers and in patients with MEN1 syndrome. Carcinoid syndrome. A rare syndrome caused by the release of hormones and products, serotonin, histamine, and others, by neuroendocrine or carcinoid tumors, most of which originate in the small intestine. Classically, the syndrome results in diffuse cutaneous flushing, diarrhea, and right-sided valvular pathologic conditions. Symptoms tend to emerge in the setting of metastatic disease because the first pass effect of the liver metabolizes serotonin to 5-hydroxyindole acetic acid, 5-HIAA, preventing systemic signs of the disease. Diagnosis can be made with 24-hour collection of urinary 5-HIAA. Must be differentiated from a VIPoma, which also presents with diarrhea and flushing. Menetriae disease, hypoproteinemic hypertrophic gastropathy. Increased levels of transforming growth factor alpha, TGF-alpha, cause extreme hypertrophy of gastric rugae. Symptoms include pain, weight loss, 
and protein-losing gastroenteropathy. Increased gastric mucosal permeability leads to protein, albumin, loss, and subsequent edema from loss of oncotic pressure. Biopsy is diagnostic and reveals mucous cell hyperplasia and gland atrophy. Gastric cancer often presents as weight loss, abdominal pain, and early satiety. Diagnosis is made by endoscopy with biopsy. Gastric cancer is usually adenocarcinoma, 90% of the time. Risk factors include eating smoked foods and chronic gastritis. H. pylori infection is associated with both intestinal type and diffuse type adenocarcinomas, as well as mucosa-associated lymphoid tissue, MALT, lymphoma. Common metastatic sites include the Virchow node, left supraclavicular lymph node, Sister Mary Joseph nodule, periumbilical lymph node, and Krukenberg tumor, metastatic growth in the ovary. Because gastric cancer tends to ulcerate, gastric ulcers should be biopsied to exclude malignancy. Intestinal type. Well-differentiated adenocarcinomas. Risk factors include eating smoked foods, chronic gastritis, and H. pylori infection. Because these cancer cells produce intercellular adhesion molecules, E-cadherin, they maintain a glandular structure, and the tumors can form ulcerating, bulky masses. Diffuse type. Poorly differentiated adenocarcinoma. They lack intracellular adhesion molecules and therefore spread diffusely along the gastric wall and thicken it. Linitis plastica, leather bottle stomach, refers to severe thickening and rigidity of the stomach. The lack of distensibility causes early satiety and vomiting after eating. Biopsy reveals characteristic signet ring cells in which mucin has pushed the nucleus to the periphery, giving the cells the appearance of signet rings. See figure 10.15. Gastric malt lymphoma. Highly associated with H. pylori and responds very well to eradication, perhaps making it the only cancer that can be cured with antibiotics. GI stromal tumors. GIST arise from interstitial cells of Cajal, the pacemaker cells of gut motility. A gain-of-function mutation in the KIT gene causes a constitutively active tyrosine kinase receptor. In addition to surgical resection, GISTs can be targeted with the tyrosine kinase inhibitor imatinib. Small bowel and colon. Small bowel obstruction. See figure 10.16. Presents as colicky abdominal pain, distension, vomiting, and obstipation, inability to pass stool or gas. The pain is colicky because pain is felt specifically when peristalsis causes contraction against the obstruction. An upright abdominal x-ray examination usually reveals dilated loops of bowel often with multiple air fluid levels. See figure 10.17. All patients should be made NPO, 
nothing by mouth, and given intravenous, IV fluids, and medications to control pain and nausea. A nasogastric tube can decompress the bowel. Adhesions. The most likely cause of obstruction in patients with previous abdominal surgery. Treated with surgical lysis of adhesions in severe cases. Incomplete bowel obstruction may respond to bowel rest, keeping the patient NPO, and nasogastric, NG, tube decompression. Intussusception. One piece of the small bowel, the intussusceptum, telescopes into an adjacent section, the intussuscipients. Most common cause of intestinal obstruction in young children and almost exclusively found in children six months to six years of age. Two-thirds of cases occur in children younger than one year. It occurs commonly after viral illness because of lymphatic hypertrophy at the lead point. When it occurs in adults, the lead point is more likely to be a polyp or tumor. Patients present with severe colicky abdominal pain. Small children often present with alternating periods of crying and lethargy, and parents may describe their child drawing their legs up during painful episodes. Hematochesia is an inconsistent symptom, although many patients will have hemocult-positive stool, and the classic current jelly stool, actually dead mucosa that has sloughed off ischemic bowel, is an extremely late finding. Physical examination may reveal a palpable, sausage-shaped abdominal mass. Ultrasonography, which is currently the first-line diagnostic test in most centers, shows a bullseye lesion, demonstrating one region of bowel surrounding another. Diagnosis and treatment can be accomplished via an air or contrast-based enema. Volvulus. Twisting of a loop of bowel around its mesentery, which leads to physical obstruction of the bowel lumen and ischemia of the bowel from interruption of the vascular supply. Symptoms include abdominal pain, distension, obstipation, and vomiting. Sigmoid volvulus most often occurs in debilitated older patients who have distended sigmoid colons from chronic constipation. Cecal volvulus most often occurs in middle-aged adults because of increased mobility of the right colon. Midgut volvulus occurs in the first months of life and is caused by congenital malrotation of the gut. Mesenteric ischemia. Occlusion of the celiac artery, superior mesenteric artery, or inferior mesenteric artery, leading to bowel ischemia and infarction. The splenic flexure and rectosigmoid colon are at particular risk because they are watershed bowel segments at the end of their respective arterial supplies. Acute mesenteric ischemia. Acute arterial occlusion leads to an acute onset severe abdominal pain, pain out of proportion to the abdominal examination, and bloody diarrhea from transmural infarction. Occlusion may be from cardiac embolization, such as in patients with atrial fibrillation, or may occur from atherosclerotic disease or hypercoagulable states.
chronic mesenteric ischemia. Progressive atherosclerosis leads to bowel hypoperfusion. Symptoms include intestinal angina, abdominal pain that occurs with eating, and associated weight loss. Because this progresses gradually, there is growth of collateral blood supply, which may partially compensate. Angiodysplasia. Abnormal, tortuous blood vessels that are susceptible to bleeding. Vessels may bleed slowly, causing minimal or chronic blood loss, or may rupture, causing acute or severe GI bleeding with hematochesia, bloody diarrhea. Predisposing conditions include end-stage renal disease, von Willebrand disease, and aortic stenosis. Celiac disease, or gluten-sensitive enteropathy. A hypersensitivity to wheat, more specifically, sensitivity to the glycoprotein gliadin found in gluten. Anti-gliadin antibodies target gliadin and create a local inflammatory reaction that damages the GI mucosa. Patients present with abdominal pain, vomiting, and diarrhea associated with the ingestion of gluten. Laboratory tests often reveal anti-tissue transglutaminase antibody and anti-endomesial antibody, and may also be consistent with iron deficiency anemia, microcytic, or folate deficiency, macrocytic anemia, because mucosal damage can lead to malabsorption of these micronutrients. It is associated with HLA-DQ8 and HLA-DQ2. Intestinal biopsy reveals increased intraepithelial lymphocytes, villus atrophy, and crypt hyperplasia. See figure 10.18. Treatment involves a strict gluten-free diet, which can often lead to resolution of symptoms. Of note, dermatitis herpetiformis is a commonly tested dermatologic manifestation of celiac disease characterized by papulovesicular, herpetic-appearing, skin lesions, especially on the elbows and other extensor surfaces. See figure 10.19. Tropical sprue. Clinically and histologically indistinguishable from celiac disease, tropical sprue is thought to be caused by an infectious source, although the organism is not known. It is distinguished from celiac because it is found predominantly in the tropics and does not respond to a gluten-free diet. Antibiotics, either tetracycline or doxycycline, are the treatment of choice. Whipple disease. Symptoms are similar to tropical sprue and celiac disease. However, biopsy reveals foamy macrophages, lipid-loaded, that are periodic acid shift, PAS, positive. These bacteria-laden macrophages accumulate in the GI lymphatic system, which impairs drainage and leads to diarrhea and malabsorption. It may spread to other organs, causing joint pain, heart failure, or dementia, depending on where it spreads. The intracellular gram-positive bacillus Trophoderma wepelii is the causative organism. Treatment is with long-term antibiotics. Appendicitis. 
The underlying cause of appendicitis is appendiceal obstruction. Obstruction is often from a fecalith in adults. In children, lymphoid hyperplasia, especially after a viral illness, is commonly the inciting event. Acute appendicitis presents as acute onset of ill-defined periumbilical pain that migrates to the right lower quadrant and then becomes sharply defined. This migration occurs because the inflammation is sensed initially by the poorly defined visceral receptors of the appendix, which synapse in the spinal cord at the same level as the periumbilical region of the anterior abdominal wall. Once the inflammation spreads to the parietal peritoneum, however, the more distinguishing parietal receptors accurately localize the pain to the right lower quadrant. Signs and symptoms of appendicitis include fever, vomiting, and tenderness at McBurney point, the location on the abdominal wall one-third the distance between the anterior superior iliac spine and the umbilicus. Patients may also have a positive psoas or obturator sign, pain with hip flexion or internal rotation, respectively. Blood work is of limited use in aiding diagnosis because of poor sensitivity and specificity for the disease, but may reveal leukocytosis. A normal white blood cell count does not exclude the diagnosis. CT scanning is usually highly accurate in making the diagnosis, but ultrasound is a reasonable initial diagnostic modality when limiting radiation exposure is a high priority for example, in children. Ultrasound can also help distinguish appendicitis from pelvic pathologic conditions, such as an ectopic pregnancy or ovarian torsion. Treatment is with appendectomy and antibiotics. Complications include perforation, which may lead to peritonitis and or abscess formation. Clinical pearl, Yersinia enterocolitica infection and subsequent invasion into the pyre patches can cause a condition closely resembling appendicitis called pseudoappendicitis. During laparoscopy, lymphadenopathy and inflammation of the terminal ilium and appendix can be seen. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step One, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.